the U.S. Women's Soccer Show from Goal. When the NWSL was founded in 2013, Mexico's Football Federation was heavily involved. Until five years ago, Mexican players were allocated in the NWSL every season. But in 2016, the Liga MX Femenil was formed, and that changed everything in Mexican women's soccer. They've had some impressive TV viewing figures, both in Mexico and the United States, and they really seem to be starting to gain a foothold on both sides of the border. On today's episode of All of Us, the U.S. Women's Soccer Show, we speak to the league director, Mariana Gutierrez-Bernardez, about the future of the women's game in Mexico, the growth of Liga MX Femenil, and plans to once again link up with the NWSL. I'm Seth Ritelny, and with me as always is Goals Women's Soccer Correspondent, Amy Ruskai. Amy, how's it going? I'm good, thanks. How are you, Seth? Doing well. I think we have a very interesting guest today. Yeah, I think this should be really interesting because, you know, I've, I've seen some of the games in the in Liga MX Femenil, and it's a really exciting league. Um, we actually had um, Alison Gonzalez, who plays in the league. She was third in our next-gen list this year. Um, so there's a lot of talent coming through, and I know that um, the national teams, the youth national teams, have had a lot of success. And yeah, it just feels like it's really on the up at the moment, not just the league, but the game in general in Mexico. So excited to to find out a little bit more. Yeah, they've only been around for five years, but the growth uh, that we've seen since they started has been has been huge. Um, they've they've been able to kind of take advantage of having these established brands like Club America and Chivas and Pumas that that soccer fans all across Mexico and in the United States recognize. And when you watch the games, the the, the quality is very, very good. Um, there are some really strong players in the league, and I think it's it's helping grow the league, and it's also helping the Mexican national team establish a little bit more of a foothold in CONCACAF. So it's going to be really interesting to talk to Mariana about where the league's been and and where she sees it going. Uh, you know, as we mentioned, um, they've had some pretty impressive TV figures recently um, in 2019. The first leg of the Liga MX Femenil final drew more viewers in the U.S. than the 2019 NWSL championship game. And that kind of mirrors what we've seen in the men's game as well. Um, Liga MX on the men's side usually draws more TV viewers than MLS in the United States. And the Mexican national team on the men's side oftentimes draws more TV viewers than the U.S. men's national team. So it's it's a league on the up and up. And Amy, as you mentioned, in May, the, the league made some new announcements about a new competition internationally next summer um, and the desire to form alliances with the NWSL and the uh, the Women's Super League in England as well. Uh, so let's bring on Mariana Gutierrez-Bernardez, the director of the Liga MX Femenil. Mariana, welcome to the show. Thanks for coming on. No, thank you, Seth and me for, for the invitation. I'm very excited to have um, a huge discussion about women's football here in Mexico. Yes, let's start our huge discussion with the beginning of this project, um, you have been on board since the beginning in 2016. Um, can you can can you just talk us through the process of the league starting, how it came about, and why you felt it was important to to get this league off the ground? 
So, um, yes, I, I'm part of this project since the beginning. I used to be manager. I was um, also manager in the amateur side with the Mexican Federation. And I joined Liga MX team in 2016. That actually on December the 5th, we approved all our owners, our 18 clubs, approved this initiative of the Mexican Football Federation to strengthen the women's football. And it was created before and after a new, it, it was a huge milestone. No? So we launched it on the 5th of December. And right now we are in almost at the end of our is the fifth season in the first tournament. You, I have to tell you guys, we have one season, two tournaments each, Apertura and Clausura. Right now we're in, in the first semester that's called Apertura, eh, eh, Grita Mexico, how we call it right now. Each tournament has 17 rounds and right now we are in the 13 round. So we are almost um, on our finals, but that's how it started, no? an initiative we have the same competition from the men and for the women's side. We have the same investment, uh, the same interested interest of our owners. So we we have a huge vision for the women's football uh, here in Mexico. Could you tell us a little bit about the relationship between the Liga MX, the men's teams and the women's teams? Because they affect each other, don't they? Yeah, actually, let's call them institutions. And each institution has their men and their women's side, right? And they get to compete each other all the year. So, I mean, we play in the big stadiums. We have a huge country, actually. So they have to invest in um the same operation things like for example all the all the trips travels uh, uh, hotels uh, concentrations training sessions they train our our women's team train in the same uh, sports facilities um same the majority of them have um they share the same gym i mean they share everything it's an institution it's like a huge brand with different uh, small brands that's how we work, no? And what we did first on our first season, we divided our our season into regional groups. And that's what that was something that had to do with financial and economics and costs of the competition, no? Because I repeat, we're a huge country. And as you know, it's different from the men's side. So we don't have the same calendar for match days, but we have the same competition system. Yeah, and you mentioned that these teams are looked at as institutions that have men's teams and women's teams. Um, you know, some of these brands are so well known across Mexico and across North America and even the world, like Club America and Chivas, Pumas, Cruz Azul. Um, how do you capitalize on how well known these teams already are? Because when you compare it to like the NWSL, when they launched, you know, nobody knew what the Houston Dash was or Orlando Pride was. And in Mexico, everybody knows Club America. Everybody knows Chivas. Yeah. So Seth, that's a great question because that was one of our leverages. We understood that we had that power to create new narratives from the same institution. They didn't understand if they had to build two types of messages to, for example, Twitter two at America Femenil and America, no? But they understood that they had different fans. So 
what they did is the first step was let's try and build new conversation, new narratives for the women's side in our profile. And then they started dividing them. Pumas was the last team that did that. And they say, Mariana, it's very interesting because if you analyze it, I give different narratives in my same profile, but I can impact or have a reach of 1 million people. But if I separate it, then I have a new profile from the women's team that only has a reach of 10,000 people. So either way around, it's a positive thing if you have a strategy. So each team has built their own strategy. We have different objectives, different strategies. For example, uh, Tigres, they share same equipment, same institution, same brand, same conversation with the men and the in the women's side, different profiles, no? Something that Houston Dash actually, when they come here and visit Tigres, they understood and actually adopted for their brand. But then we have Rayados and Rayadas. So what they did was build differentiate brands. They have Rayados for the men's side, Rayadas for the women's side, different jerseys, different logos, different conversation narratives, etc. And Cruz Azul has a different logo, but share the same colors, the same equipment, etc., etc. But their logo is different. So we have different business models that they've been successful. Other, others are trying to, they keep our, on, on trying to find their milestones, but we are not yet there, but I know we're going to reach it. No, Right now you were talking about Chivas, Tigres, Cruz Azul, it's the Pumas. They starting to be international brands also in the women's side. And that's very interesting also. And how have you noticed that the league has impacted the national team as well in, in the five years it's been going? I could say first in the youth teams, no. Our, our biggest milestone was um, being um, second place in Uruguay for the U17. And how it works is that we have a, we have a regulation that it's very important for us because, as I said, no, this is our fifth season. So how are you going to develop younger, young, the youngest, if you don't have a youth, a youth program in the clubs? So the first thing we did was, this is a rule for minors that the 2001 categories and minors had to play a thousand minutes in each club with, I mean, the total of the club had to be 1000 minutes with whatever players had they only could reach 180 minutes per game. So, for example, if you had six players, 2001 category, that it was in that moment was 15, 16 years old, if they played the 19 minutes and you had four players of 19 minutes, you were only going to count 180 minutes. So at the end of the, the tournament, you had each team, 1,000 minutes, minors that were playing and they were starting to feel what a high performance uh, competition was. And those minors were part of that national team of U17 that had second place with Monica Vergara. Alison Gonzalez is part of that rule, no? I know you know her, no? But now what? how we evolved that rule is, that rule right now is 2002 category, but we launch a new U17 competition. So each club has to have their own U17 uh, uh, team and play each other. So that has a new pool 
for players to develop in high performance and national teams get to ha have new players that they are not able to develop and compete all year around with national teams and they get to do that with their clubs. Obviously, there was a lot of really exciting announcements in May um, about the league and that is one of them. So let's start there then. The the U17 division, I mean, you know, can you talk us through that plan and, and how exciting it is for, for Mexican women's soccer? So what we're doing with, for me, it's one of the most exciting um, projects because what we're doing is, we're first of all, is what we're doing is opening new opportunities for young girls that they have the possibility to start playing in an uh, in a um, younger age because in high performance and that they are able to to choose at 16 years old if they want to be professional or they want to be just in the amateur side recreative have fun etc no? or if they it's going to be their profession no so first of all that's keep on is the initiating girls in the in the women's game no Second of all is that our teams are able to develop young girls and understand that process that they well known on the men's side. How are they going to build that in the women's side? Because as we know, um, physiology, anatomy, everything of the women's body is different. And in the girls also, no? as FIFA always explained, after 12 years old, you need to separate them to understand them, how they play, how they can develop. So what we're doing is that competition, the U17, it's also exciting because you're going to develop coaches, referees, and um, physical coaches, um, and you're going to have so, new, so many new insights about the game that you can do a, no, a whole new research and start to build when you get to the first team um expertise in specifically in the women's side no so what we're doing is we're building a footprint and we're building a pathway for the women's game that's one of the best agreements the owners had in the past assembly no and the women and for the for the women's game all of us the u.s women's soccer show from goal get the latest news and views on the u.s women's national team and the nwsl on goal The U.S. Women's Soccer Show from Goal. Find more U.S. Women's Soccer news and opinion on Goal. Here in the U.S., I'm sure you've seen in the NWSL, players have been fighting for more money, bigger salaries. Um, there's been a campaign called the No Side Hustles campaign where, where players are aiming to make enough money to make soccer their only job because so many players have to work jobs on the side in the current economic structure of the league. Uh, so I'm wondering what the status is of salaries in Liga MX Femenil and what the status is of professionalism and, and where you see that going in the next few years. I can tell you guys that this is the main topic for each league in the world for the women's side. It's it's a challenge for each league that um, it's and actually what we always say here in Mexico it's it's unfair to compare salaries from the men's side with the women's side when the men's have been developing this business this industry for a hundred years 
And for example, in Mexico, we've always been, uh, we've only been developing for five years, no? So we understand that our main purpose is to become a sustainable league that as a result, our players are going to be able to live of, uh, uh, going to be able to live off this uh, profession, no? So this is our main objective. That's what we are being, trying to, to build for, uh, and our main objectives for the next four years is um, increase the incomes of the league to become independent with our own incomes so we can sustain the league because right now we are sustained by the men's side, not by the federation, by the men's side. And increase the, the show level, no, the entertainment, the, the sports level in order to our players become also kind of rock stars, no? and that they can um, have bigger incomes. So I do understand this is a main issue. We are working of how to have the best scenario, the best competition for, our, for not only for our players, for our coaches, for our referees, for our clubs, for our administration, for staff, for, for media, uh, the people that work in media, right? for the whole industry. So we we love to say always that we are building a new industry and that takes time. So um, this is the vision we have for the next 10 years. Do most players currently have to work second jobs? Yeah, the majority of them, they have to. They have to. Um, if you want to compare it with something, the average salary of our players is probably twice the salary of uh, a Mexican. But there's something very interesting about that question because, for example, the average age of our players is 23 years old. So most of them have two responsibilities, either work and play or study and play. So something we did with our clubs is, um, hey, guys, you need to help them with their studies. So... They have, uh, they've been partnered with universities so they can have masters. We, 54% of our players have master degrees, doctorates. They have um, a title degree or they've been simply studying, I know, high school. So the other thing that we are working is how are we going to um, adapt and bring those professional players when they stop playing they can be part of our industry. For example, for our U17 program, seven former players are right now the head coach of those U17 no, teams. How can a former player become head of the women's side? How can they be part of the TV broadcaster and be analysts, sport journalists, whatever, no? so that we understand that the whole industry has to be part of it also as, as uh, a job income or job opportunity. And there's got a lot of the announcements that were made earlier this year. There's there's also a lot of new competitions that the league announced. Um, do you know the, the Champions Cup um, this December and, and also a, an international tournament for next summer. Can you tell us a little bit more uh, about those two? One of our leverages is that when we share the same 18 institutions, the same 18 clubs, Right now, the best practices we have from the men's side are the youth programs. No, they have U14, U16, U18, U20 competing and a new competition that's U23. 
And the other leverage and good practice, best practice we have is what been sharing with the MLS. No, this collaboration agreements with other leagues, with international is the clubs. And what we understand the big market in the United States and Mexico, what we share, no, the interest for the women's football uh, in Mexico specifically. So the thing that they build in the men's side that we are trying to launch for the women's side, tropicalize it, is they build a campeones, a campeón de campeones. It's those are that's a match held between the champion of the first semester against the champion of the second semester, no? And the champion of that match, the winner of that match, plays the campeones cup. That's a match played against the champion of MLS. So what we're trying to, we want to replicate that. It ha, it doesn't have to be with the NWSL. I mean, we can replicate it against other leagues in the world. But what we are trying to do is replicate that model. We just did it with um, champions of first semester and second semester, but we couldn't have a match because Tigres Femenil was champion of the first semester and second semester. So what we did, we, we gave them both trophies and both medals and uh, the we award them for the champions of champions. We also um, have a collaboration agreement with La Liga, and what we, what 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 can we build with them, with the Spaniards? And we are building best practices. Um, and, I don't know training sessions, and also we are exploring the idea of new matches. The biggest talking point right now in the women's game worldwide are these scandals of abuse that have been reported um, in the NWSL, um, Venezuela, Australia, just to name a few. Um, What kind of options do you have available for players in Liga MX Femenil to report abuse, to prevent similar abuses, and how do you create uh, a safe culture for for players in your league. So, right now, what we are we are we are building with experts are our protocols, new policies um, for um, harassment, abuse, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Now, what what those policies? How can we strengthen them in order to play our players feel protected? No. The other thing is how we work. They are part of the um, footballers or player association. So we work with the player association to understand their needs, what we have to keep on growing, working, um, improve. And, um, And the other thing is that we're working on a huge project i i cannot talk about it but has to do with diversity has to do with nonviolence, has to do with discrimination for all of our industry no because it's not only with the women's players how how can we protect all of our players childs men women and how can we protect also staff we're part of an ecosystem so we understand that in order to our players become better players, in order to our teams have better results, in order to our staff become better coaches, we have to have a safe environment, a safe, a safe ecosystem. And we understand that we need experts on those topics that can um, help us build all those policies. No? So we have experts in 
I don't know, uh, discrimination. We have um, uh, experts on is the autism, nonviolence, uh, LGBTQ rights, um, diversity, a huge bunch of experts that we're working with them to find new policies. And it's very interesting. And we've been learning so many things. And the, the first thing we learned is that you have to unlearn, stop learning what you've always been learning to to be able to learn new things and yeah i guess sort of tapping into what you you were saying before about forming you know you're speaking to la liga um you know nwsl i know that the league has been wanting to form an alliance with the wsl as well in england um you know the the nwsl feels like a natural partnership because of you know mls and liga mx are you are you hopeful to to build like you say replicate some of the things like the all-star game and and things like that um, going forward. Yeah, it's very interesting. It's all, it, it also makes sense because of the market, no? So remember that we are part of CONCACAF. And it's not the same to be CONCACAF than UEFA, no? Or AFA. I mean, it's the CONMEBOL. So CONMEBOL has Copa Libertadores. So they can share an international competition between each club of each of each is the country here in CONCACAF we don't have that because it's a very um, interesting region when where you have to share a competition with United States and Haiti no and how can you work a competition when you have a big potent is the your first top ranking is the country but also a huge economy against a country that this year had a flood as the natural disasters. They, they can, I mean, they don't have even a way to have food for, for the people. So how can you develop women's football in that region? No. So those are the challenges we have in this region. And it makes sense. And the United States understand that if they don't, um, if we as a region don't improve and keep growing the game, Eventually, the United States won't have a way to compete against UEFA that has the Women's Champion League and they have the biggest clubs there investing and investing and investing. And we as Mexicans also understand that, no? For us, it's a huge leverage to compete against the United States. I mean, I don't know. I don't care if we lose 5-0. Eventually, we're going to lose 1-0 and eventually we're going to win that game. But in order to become the best, you need to compete against the best. And that's also the importance of helping Costa Rica, Guatemala, Belize, El Salvador to grow the game so Mexicans also keep on growing. No, so that's not on. That's not only about the market and commercial rights and best practices. It's also a responsibility we have as a region to keep on growing the women's game. We'll end on this question. Um, if you look ahead into the future, let's say five or 10 years, you know, what, what is your dream scenario for where the Liga MX Femenil will be? What will the Liga MX Femenil's role in women's soccer be? What are, what are the aspirations that you have for this league? That's an easy one. We want to be the best league in the world. <laughs> We're working on that. We understand we have everything to become one of the biggest, toughest league in the world. We understand that because we see the investment, we see the interest of the clubs, we see the interest of national teams, we see the interest of this, the sports development uh, area, department, federation. We have everything to become that uh, league. We need to keep investing 
this is and this is my call to action always this is the biggest moment for the game it's the fastest growing sports in the world and this is the moment for brands to invest no it, so we are working in every single scenario every single department to become that uh, uh, top league so we need time we need investment we need to keep sharing best practices we need to keep learning we need to build new policies and each year review those processes review those um, decisions and improve them so our vision is to become a sustainable league in the long term in the short term is to improve those incomes in order to become that sustainable league I do have one more question now that you mentioned becoming the best league in the world. You know, over the last decade or so, the best team in the world has been the U.S. And currently most of the U.S. national team plays in the NWSL. Would you like to see a big star from the U.S. women's team play in your league at some point in the near future? So, Seth, that's I love that question because we always talk about that. They always have um, media or people always question us. How can we um, take our players, our best players offshores? No? And I always ask, and why do we want to send our best players offseas and not bring the best players to our league? So the first thing we did was develop our Mexican players, develop our national players. No, we were not, um, and that's one of the agreements in May, um, you couldn't register international or uh, foreign players, no? Uh, since May, you can register register foreign players. So if we've been doing a huge investment to improve our football or players' uh, performance and become best top players in the world and it's going to take us time but our vision is not to take our best players offshore is that those best players have to come here because well we are going to be that top league right we're very ambitious on that but we're working on on it mariana gutierrez bernardes thank you so much for coming on our show and best of luck with the liga mx femenil moving forward Thank you, Seth. Thank you, Amy. I was delighted with this conversation. Please keep on touch. Tune our games. You can see them in the United States also um, and worldwide again uh, uh, on streaming. And um, you can follow up on all our social media. All right. That was Mariana Gutierrez Bernardez, the head of Liga MX Femenil. Very interesting conversation. She sees Liga MX as potentially the biggest league in the world in the future. Uh, Amy, that was what stood out for me, I think, among several other things. Uh, For you, what were some takeaways that you had from that conversation? I think it's exciting that they're trying to bring new competitions in. Because, I mean, like she said, CONCACAF is kind of... I mean, CONCACAF has the NWSL and then there's like sort of been a big drop-off. So it's nice to see another league in CONCACAF that can... Um, improve it and also like opening up to foreign players should be quite fun because like there's a lot of good players in the smaller CONCACAF regions and you know it's another place for them to land and and get some good experience and and progress so yeah I'm excited to see some of the players that that land in 
London the league in the next few years for sure. Yeah, after Canada won the gold medal at the Olympics this summer, they talked about how they need to have a professional women's league in Canada. And it would be so big for CONCACAF to just have more top flight leagues where women's players can play because it's been for so long, just the U S and, and Canada kind of dominating the region. And now you see Mexico coming up, but the more opportunities that players have to play across the region, whether it's NWSL, whether Canada, Liga MX, even some of the, the lower divisions that are about to start in the United States, I think that would help build up the region even more. So we're going to leave it there. Thank you, as always, for tuning in. Reminder to subscribe and leave us a rating wherever you get your podcasts. And we will talk to you next week. All of us, the U.S. Women's Soccer Show from Goal. Find more U.S. women's soccer news and opinion on Goal.